Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. We are now in close to 60 countries, which sends me a message that there are people all over this globe that want the message of hope, which is what this show, Never Ever Give Up Hope, is all about. People who have been in incredible circumstances and were able to overcome them, and to be victorious over them, and to share their stories. Most of them are authors, as is my guest today. And I also wanted to share how much I appreciate um, my guests and also my listeners' comments and reviews. It is what makes this show a success, and I appreciate connecting with each of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. With us today is Deborah Carroll. Now, Deborah is a former educator and educational publisher. She has written a book, which is a really interesting subject that we have not had on this show before. Uh, Actually, two books. The first is on practical parenting, entitled Raising Amazing Children. Well, I think all mothers think their children are amazing, so this is... (laughs) This is going to be an interesting uh, subject to talk about. She's also written numerous educational publications for newspapers and young people's serials. Now, her recent work, which is the one that I think we probably will focus more on today, is called Tales from the Family Crypt, When Aging Parents Die, Sibling Rivalry Lives. I think a lot of us are going to be able to relate to that. And what is unique about Deborah is she has been able to teach people how to deal with these situations and hopefully bring some resolve. She's also written a children's picture book about grandparents called Real Grands from A to Z. Everything a Grandparent Can Be. So three very different books, and I hope that she will will have time to discuss each one. And so here we go. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Carol. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Now, I appreciate you're having me here today. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Well, it's you're going to give us a lot to be grateful for, just from reading your bio here. Um Let's start with maybe sharing just a little bit about your book, Raising Amer- American, <laughs> Raising Amazing Children. 
that's not where I want to concentrate today, but maybe just give us a little a little bit about that. Sure. It was really an outgrowth of my having been a teacher for the first 10 years of my career and seeing what worked with getting children to be cooperative and responsible and you know, kind of live with some integrity. So it was really about finding the ways when we had kids to not turn our lives entirely upside down to integrate them into our lives, but rather to have them come into our lives and be part of it as it already was. So instead of, you know, changing everything we did, we tried to involve our kids in, you know, things around the house and the travel that we already enjoyed and just try to show them how we lived and to uh, have them incorporate their lives into ours instead of just completely turning everything upside down. The the tagline really was uh, raising children while having a life of your own. And that was really the goal. So that's where that came out of. And it was a lot of fun to write. That sounds it. And I thank you for that. Now, the nitty gritty. I agree that one thing that can tear a family apart is the estate issue. I hear stories about this all the time. Fortunately, I am not one of those because my parents didn't have anything for one thing. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) but, um, and I don't think that hopefully that wasn't the kind of family that would do that anyway. But I think this can happen to the best of families. And this is where you're going to bring some light to this subject of what happens in the scenario when the aging parents die and we, you know, end up instead of giving them a peaceful goodbye, we end up in a situation where they want to grab money and power. So, Enlighten us. Start with your story and tell us about that. I can do that. It's beyond heartbreaking. And one thing I do want to point out, your parents don't have to have anything in order for your siblings to fight about it. Really? My parents didn't have very much. And when my dad died, he was my second parent to die, my sister still took me to court. She did not win. But in her case, it was more of an emotional power fight. Oh my goodness. And 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 it can happen to any family. My sister and I were not close, but we were never enemies. We were we were reasonably good friends. And uh not as close as I would have liked, but we were very different. But you know, when a parent dies it brings back, I guess, a lot of childhood skirmishes mm. and then you know you're bringing up these emotions from childhood but you're an adult and you go about it differently so um what happened to my husband and me was pretty interesting and if i would have watched it happen to anybody else it would have been even more interesting but it was me. Mm. uh we have between the two of us we have four siblings none of them speaks to us now and wow you know it's it's quite devastating And we've spent many hours trying to figure that out. But along the way, what we noticed was as each one of our four parents died, any little emotional disconnection or turmoil between the siblings was exponentially uh, multiplying. Mm. And um, it occurred to me that it was kind of an arc of a story, which is why I ended up writing it as a book. As each parent died, things got a little crazier among our siblings. We were all still talking, but with each death, they got a little bit more out of control. And ultimately, when my mother-in-law died a year and a half ago, all hell broke loose. 
Um, what I want to say is it doesn't generally start at the death of the parent. It starts before that, oftentimes while the parent is ill. Or in my husband's family's case, it started 30 years ago with a, a divorce in the family. And um, it brought up a lot of emotional issues and people started to kind of take sides and split apart. Had nothing to do with the death of parents. But over the years, those bits of family turmoil, which a lot of families have, can build under the surface. And you don't realize how bad it's gotten until the aging parents are sick and dying. And then the siblings that have had problems in the past realize that they can coalesce their angry feelings around power and money. And that's when the problems all sort of hit. Um, my my mother-in-law is the quintessential sort of poster child for when bad things can happen to families. She was quite, quite up there in years. She lived to 94 most of her life, thank goodness, healthy. But she got sick in the last five years. And she chose my husband to take care of her affairs because he was, Mm. of her four children, the most responsible. Well, his siblings were hurt by that, you know, and they they had sibling rivalry from childhood that really hadn't been dealt with. My mother-in-law was not honest with her children. She kept a lot of secrets, and that's a huge problem. What you want to do to avoid this is to get as much out in the open while everyone is still alive and can mm. discuss it. Good point. And uh, if I if I have one piece of advice to tell people, it is talk about these things before it's too late. Talk about things uh, involving end-of-life care and how you want to see things play out after you're gone. You know, for in my case, my children are adults now, and we've had this discussion because of what we've gone through. We're not going to let the next generation right. suffer the way we did. Um, my my mother-in-law chose a power of attorney who was my husband, and that is the person who handles your affairs while you are still alive, but perhaps uh, incapable of handling your business affairs. Mm-hmm. You, she chose my husband because he was trustworthy, and uh, his siblings ended up, once my mother-in-law developed a bit of dementia, uh, they ended up challenging his authority because they wanted her to spend less money on her nursing care so that they could inherit more. They wanted to move her to a cheaper... Really? Uh, Okay. Is that what you're talking about when you refer to power? Yes, because oftentimes the power and the money are so closely aligned in a family... That sometimes um, power becomes significantly a lot like currency. And because my husband was able to make decisions for his mother because she chose him to do Mm -hmm. so, when my mother-in-law needed to go into a nursing home, she chose the nursing home she wanted to live in. It was not inexpensive, but she had the funds. Okay. Her other children, however were um, angry about how much she was spending of her own money. Oh, my goodness. Because they wanted to inherit more of it. So they started harassing her about moving to a cheaper facility. 
And she's always been the kind of mom who wanted to please her kids. She never wanted to upset anybody. Mm-hmm. So she would, in a sense, dignify their their pushing of her by listening to them. But she didn't want to move. But she would never tell them directly, I don't want to move. I'm safe and comfortable here. She would then call my husband and, oh. say, and cry and say, they're harassing me. I don't want to move. The nurses would call my husband day and night and say, your mother is very upset. She's crying. She doesn't know why they're harassing her. But she would never say to her other children, please stop harassing me. I'm okay here. So in her own way, she did that before she was demented, too, because she never wanted to hurt anyone's feelings. That kind of dishonesty between parents and adult children leads to problems. You, you know, you need to be honest about how you feel and communicate that. Well, in that type of situation, how would you do that if, if the mother is not willing to share that with the other children who are causing the problem? Well, we tried to work with her doctors. You know, we the doctors saw that she was suffering as well. And we tried to get them to um, come in and sort of facilitate a family meeting. But his siblings refused to participate. So that was difficult. So what, what I would suggest is by the time it got to the state where my mother-in-law was demented, it was almost too late. What... The reason I wrote this book is so that you never reach that point. Okay. If, par- if you know, five years ago, my mother-in-law would have sat with all of her children when they were not maybe the best friends, but at least nobody was, was enemies with anybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If she would have said, look, going forward, here's what I'm looking toward in, in my advancing years. If I get sick, here's what I want. You know, you need to craft a living will. You need to let people right. know how you see end-of-life care. And then she also, I believe, and this is important, I think she needed to let her children know what her finances looked like. You know, we don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about death. And they're probably the three things we might need to talk about <laughs> most. Good point. <laughs> um, so she, she needed to say to her kids, look, here's basically what I've got. Here's what I've got planned. Here's what I'm planning to do in my will. It, if you cannot be honest with your adult children, you are contributing to the problem later. And I think people are, are reticent to have that kind of open discussion. And it, it does cause a lot of problems. Even in terms of if you don't have a lot of money, but perhaps you might have some possessions you're emotionally attached to or you know your kids are just to have an open discussion about look you know guys someday I'm not going to be here and I'd like to know what it is in my home that you feel connected to that you would like so that we can make sure everybody gets the things that matter to them or at least be as fair as we can but because we don't talk about death we don't have that discussion either but what I'm trying to say to people is Death has, it's getting a bad reputation, death. And it's kind of a shame because <laughs> it's coming to everybody. I always say, you know, maybe it needs a snappy slogan, you know, death, it's a new beginning. Um, death, it's not really the end. You know, something, <laughs> because we're so afraid to touch that topic. It's so taboo as if we think touching it makes it happen or talking about mm-hmm. it is going to kill us. It's not going to kill us. We're going to go anyway. 
It would have helped. Going back, it would have helped. Once you get to that dementia state with an older person, it is very difficult to clear up these problems. Uh, my husband's siblings are not your average kind of uh, sibling rivalry people. They're, they're angry people. They're um, controlling people. One of them is clearly a narcissist. My mother's attorney referred to my brother-in-law as a sociopath. Really? That may be accurate. Not everybody is that extreme, but honestly, Carol, the stories I've heard since writing this book are so sad. I mean, even things like uh, one reader told me, when her family left her mother's funeral, they left the church and she turned right to go to the cemetery and her siblings turned left to go to her mother's house and ransack it oh. before anyone else got there. And that just broke my heart. So what I'm saying to people is do what you can do while your parents are alive and somewhat well. And yeah, you might have to tiptoe into a topic that everyone is a little afraid of. But don't be afraid because the consequences of not having these honest conversations are a lot more painful than having the conversations. So is most of your book written to what you should do before? The way my, the structure of my, my book is written more like a novel. It tells a story. Here's what our lives were like growing up. My husband and I thought we had normal childhoods. We did not have problems, <clears throat> excuse me, with our siblings growing up. So I walked through the deaths of my four parents. Here's what happened when my mom died. My sister and my mom were very close and it kind of freaked my sister out. And from that moment on, she started to act differently around my father. I guess she was afraid of losing him. She wasn't that close with him. He and I were very close. So losing my mother sort of uh, upped my sister's emotional difficulties with me and with my dad. And my dad and I, had we seen the future, we would have been better able to try to bring her into our circle a little bit more and try to understand how she was feeling. But we didn't know, and she didn't really tell us. So um, when my dad died and my sister really kind of lost emotional control and ended up taking me to court, I knew I wasn't going to lose. I knew her case was groundless, but I knew I was going to lose her too, and that was very upsetting. Oh, that would be awful. Uh, It was awful, and she hasn't spoken to me for 25 years. I didn't ever want that. She has a very difficult spouse, and therein lies another part of the problem. You know, you grow up in in your house with your parents, and maybe you have some sibling rivalry, maybe you don't, maybe you have a little bit, and then you kind of grow up and you go about your lives, and you have spouses, and you kind of separate for a while and each live your own lives. But then when your parent gets ill, you come back together as a unit, but now you're adults. You're not the children mm-hmm. anymore. Yet sometimes people go back to interacting with each other the way they did when they were children because that was really the last time mm-hmm. family Good. worked as a unit. To complicate matters, you brought in a spouse who may or may not be on the same page as you are in terms of dealing with your siblings. And it is a very complex web of human interaction that is is tenuous. So um, it gets difficult. So my book is, is a story. It reads like a novel. Sad though it may be. I also put a lot of humor in there because some of it you had to laugh at because it got a little crazy. Mm. 
Um, my sister took an inventory of my father's home after he died without telling me and wrote down a list of every item in the house, including, Carol, these six plastic corn cob holders. Oh, my goodness. And then she in, she itemized her list and put a value on it and tried to sue me for that amount in court. My dad really didn't have much. When, and I tell you, the corn cob holders were probably among his more valuable items. <laughs> oh, my kidding. goodness. So that's how petty and ridiculous it got. So I knew she couldn't win, but I was very saddened by what she was mm-hmm. going going through and unable to speak to me about it. She just wouldn't. Um so that is the kind of story it is, and I, I tell the story, and then I try to look back at where maybe going back in time a little bit, we could have done something about being more accessible to our siblings. I'm trying to help other people think about this before they get to the corn cob holder point, you know? One of the things that you're expressing in your book, then, would be communication, which is vital. However... Coming back to, like, for example, you and your and your sister, what happens if they choose not to communicate? What kind of tips, if any, do you have for a situation like that? It would be mostly to try to pick up on the cues before it gets so bad. I I did not pick up on those cues earlier on with my sister. And I guess I had a certain amount of pride that was too much. I, um, when I knew, when I saw that she was getting angry and distant, I guess I was angry in retaliation. You know, she was angry with me and difficult with my dad and it made me angry as well. And I should have been able to see that her anger was more out of fear and sadness, but I didn't. So I reacted with anger and in, in retrospect, you know, in retrospect that was something I could have done differently. I could have tried to be more compassionate sooner. It's difficult to take a step out of anger, but I think if you look to the future and you want peace, sometimes you have to ask yourself the question, would I rather be right or have peace? And I chose for a little time there being right, and I should have chosen the path to peace. That's a mouthful. Uh, you said it right there because that isn't really an individual thing, isn't it? To make that decision when, especially when your parents are involved, to want to be, and when they're alive, to want to be right in the situation. Um, and possibly if you want to bring peace, it might not be the best for your parents. You're absolutely right. And that's the thing, why your parents are still alive, because I do, I know of a lot of people who are estranged from their siblings and their parents are still alive, and I just can't imagine anything more heartbreaking to a parent. Mm-hmm. I have three daughters. They're extremely close, which, by the way, is kind of the happy ending to my story. My girls are very close, partially, I believe, because of what we went through. We worked so hard to mm. to instill them with the value of how much your family matters and how now it is it is gold and it is worth anything to the work it takes to get there so that to me that's the happy ending my my individual family unit is very very close but if you have uh issues with your adult siblings and your parents are still alive you just you said it perfectly 
give them, give your parents that sense of peace. Make peace for your parents. You probably um, owe them that and more. And my my estrangement from my sister fortunately did not happen until after my parents were gone. But my poor mother-in-law went to her death telling the nurses around her, my children hate each other. And oh. it, it breaks my heart yes. to know that. Um, so we did try to give her a peaceful death. We were unable to do so. And I guess that is why I wrote the book. I want for people to be able to send their parents off in peace, surrounded by as much love as they can. And if it means uh, taking proactive steps with your siblings early on, maybe bringing some ugly situations out into the open where they can be dealt with instead Mm -hmm. of sweeping them under the carpet as we all do. I want people to learn from my mistakes. I want them to um, be compelled by my story. It is, I've been told by a lot of people, my story is a good read. And I guess because it is a human story Mm -hmm. and it, it could happen to anyone, any family, the best families, any socioeconomic level, um, there, there are no situations in which we are protected from this. That's amazing when you think of it. You usually think of this happening in, in homes where, you know, the, the people are quite wealthy, right? But exactly. you made a, a very legitimate point there. Um, and so your, your book is going to definitely give wisdom and some clarity, I hope so. And I do have the chapter at the end does give people literally a list of things to do years in advance to avoid this. And it is things like talk about if you don't have a wheel, you should have one. And if you don't know if your parents have one, ask them. And uh, it's very hard to open that door, too, because, again, it involves Mm -hmm. that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to my dad years ago and said, uh, Ned and I, that's my husband, Ned and I have just written our will. And um, I wanted to give you a copy of it. And then at that point, he said, well, you know, I have one, too, and here's my, here's your copy of mine. So maybe if you can't think of a better way to talk to your parents about their will, talk to them by letting them know you've just drawn one up and why you've done it and what you're going for, what your goals are. We really need to have these open communications early on, they don't have to be awkward. We think of them as awkward moments, but they really just don't have to be. What I did with my daughter was tell her that I had we had prepared our wills. And of course, the response was, as I expected, oh, mom, I don't want to talk about that. So what I did was I emailed her and told her where the will was. <laughs> oh, that's so smart. And that way she did not have to respond, and she didn't. I knew she wouldn't, but yet she has it. She knows exactly where it is and what's in it, and, um, you know. That, that will make a difference. But, you know, it's funny. If if my I, – I can hear my daughter saying the same thing, but if she said to me, you know, Mom, I don't want to talk about that, I would actually have to counter with, but, honey, I do. Right. I do want right. to talk about right. that. Um, it's hard. It's hard with your children, and it's hard with your parents. But I think if more people talked about it, Mm -hmm. it would make it a lot easier for everybody. And that's where your book comes in. Exactly. And I think it's uh, a couple people have said to me, I I read your book and I sent it to my sister. I sent it to my brother. That's good. Yes. That that makes me feel great. Because if my book opens that conversation for anyone, 
Um, that's why I wrote it. And if I could help anybody at all to avoid what we had to live through and what my poor mother-in-law had to live through, um, it would be worth it. Now, is there anything else you want to say about that before we go on to the next thing? Uh, It would really just be the what you have to understand fully is that opening these conversations are acts of love. And once you believe that, it makes it a lot easier to do it. On both sides. Absolutely. Totally. Now, your book about grandparents. Tell us about that. Completely different kind of subject and sounds I, like a lot of fun. So. I think I wrote it, you know, so I could get out from being underwater of the uh, specter <laughs> of death. Uh, we have one grandson. He's three. And I've been reading, and I, as an ex-educator, I've always loved children's books. So I'm reading him. There's this, this wonderful sets of books. And I noticed that every grandparent in every book looks like they're about 112. <laughs> you know, they're frail. They walk with canes. The women all have white hair and bun. Yes, that's right. I, I've never put my hair in a bun. And, you know, Grammy is very sweet. She bakes pies and cakes, which I do as well. But she never has a job. She doesn't work that hard. She doesn't play. They're not adventuresome. Their grandparents have really gotten short shrift in kids' books. And I thought, this isn't right. None of my friends is this living this kind of life. My friends work hard, they play hard, and most of them are grandparents. So I looked, started looking for a, you know, a kids' book that showed a lively, vibrant, you know, like exciting grandma. Couldn't find one, so I had to create one. Oh, that's excellent. Wonderful, wonderful idea. And I asked... Everyone I knew, I put it out there on social media. If you are one of the grands who thinks, you know, you're still alive and well and vibrant, <laughs> send me a photo of you doing what it is you do that keeps you happy and vibrant and, and you know, vivacious. I got photos, Carol, of, you know, grandparents in full leathers on motorcycles. <laughs> I got a, one of a woman doing a one-woman show on stage. There was one set of people that were hiking the mountains of Peru. It was unbelievable. And there was one, you know, one a woman sent me a photo of herself in court. She's a she's an attorney. And so there were, you know, people at work, right, people at right, play. Right. And I gave them to an illustrator and I had him, you know, redraw what real people look uh-huh. like. And I wrote a little rhyming book. It's an A to Z book because I thought that's, you know, the alphabet is something grandparents would love right, to go right, over. With right. And that was it. So real grands, you know, from A to Z, everything a grandparent can be. I meant it literally. And it was a lot of fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. And we're, you, you know, we're boomer grandparents. And yes, that's we, it. We are changing the image of grandparents mm. by being who we are. Oh, that sounds like fun. Now, give us a couple of illustrations. You said A to Z. So, like, what what do you mean by that? A stands for what? Well, the lettering either uh, either tied to what the people did. Like, there's an you know, there's an aviator there. Oh, I see. Okay, Taylor. So okay. it might have been you know. Um, it was tied. The letter was tied to the activity or the avocation or the vocation of the grandparent. Okay. So um, each letter has a corresponding word that you know tells you something about. You know, the M page was motorcycles. The Y page is yoga. The uh-huh. Z page. Some of the letters refer to. Um, the names, I used grandparent names from all around the world because the other thing that is funny is, you know, we grandparents these days do something previous generations didn't do. A lot of us come up with very clever names yes. that don't make us feel old. That's right. <laughs> I've seen that. Absolutely. I, I said nobody in my grandmother's day was called Glamma. Uh-huh. But, um, 
or Gogo, you know, or as some of us are, or Trixie. Somebody told me your grandparent <laughs> name is Trixie, which did make me laugh. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so, excellent. So I did use names from all languages and all cultures around the world as well. It's a, it's quite a nice. The book came up, uh, came together very very sort of beautifully diverse wise. And that made me happy too. It was one of the things I wanted to show is that grandparents come in all shapes, sizes, colors. We do things in, in all walks of life. And, you know, some of us do sit and knit and bake cookies and that's okay too, but there's a lot more going on there. I must share a little story with you if you, if that's okay. I love it. I was speaking at a um, conference, and my daughter really wanted to hear, and uh, she didn't have a babysitter for my grandson, who was three, and so I said, well, why don't you come in, sneak in the back, and just sit in the back with him, and, um, you know, I'm sure there's not going to be a problem, and so she did that, and she told me later that he had brought his little iPad and and he had his headphones on. And as soon as I got up to speak, he took the headphones off because he wanted to hear what Grammy had to say. Right. So that was all fine and good. In the meantime, she said he was sitting there asking all kinds of questions because About he was what very you were saying. Yes. That's so cool. He was interested, which is what you were just saying. He was very interested. He had he knew that I was a speaker, but he did not know or have a clue. And it goes right along with what your little book is, right? Exactly. So at the at the very end then, I guess he kept asking her throughout the throughout the time, Can I can I say something? Can I say something? And she would say, No, no, you can't. Not yet. And so when it was all over, he said, Can I say something? And she said, Yes. And so he came as I was leaving the podium to go to the back door where my books were, he met me about halfway running and really loud, clapping his hands and said, <laughs> Good job, Grammy. Oh, gosh. Well, I got a standing ovation. That, and you know what? That's the best standing <laughs> ovation of all. That's great. Absolutely. Think it was about what he got yes. that day. It yes. It's unbelievable. And so then. Is he picturing his Grammy being, you know, the little lady? No, exactly. Grammy? You know, and then he got, he got, to, he went to the back, stood at the book table with me and everybody that came out is three years old. He puts his hand out to shake their hand and he said, this is my grandma by her book. What's his name? <laughs> his name is William. That is so sweet. I love and I blog book. about him a lot. <laughs> that, it's, it's, you know, it's terrific to be able to, um, see what the true legacy is that we're passing down yes, and that's right. legacy is a lot is a lot of part of what i wrote all of my books about my books do have one common thread it's all about family and family is all about legacy and legacy goes way beyond money that's right you know what what william is getting from you that cannot be measured in dollars and cents it's and, and that so goes much more right valuable. along with the other book that you wrote as well. You know, if people could only see that. Exactly. I, it, what, they, what they spend in emotional cost fighting over money is kind of crazy. And I understand some people are desperate. They have need. I do get that. But oftentimes these fights are not really about the dollars and cents. They're much deeper than that. And as a parent, I think we do. We have to look at our legacy and focus on what really matters, leaving our kids what really matters, which is, for the most part, it's our values that we pass along. That's right. 
and we we need to start thinking about that you know early on and uh, you you used the word communication earlier and i guess if i had to pick one word that would help people avoid the problems that we encountered it would be communicate honestly would help and that's such a difficult thing for a lot of people it really is, and it's a shame because at the end, mm-hmm. you know, all that matters in those uh, – this morning I, I wrote a blog post about saying goodbye to a loved one, specifically your parent. And in the end, the, it doesn't even matter what you say. All that matters in the end is being there with the person you love and having an honest connection and trying to help them go in peace. It does it, – wait until the last minute to get there, though, is the problem – being able to send your parent off in peace starts years and years before. It starts with with how you raise your kids when they're little. And I'm trying to get people to be mindful of that. Well, this has been such a broad um, interview. I really like the, you know, that you, you didn't just have one book, like you said, and dealing with that subject was very enlightening. I so much appreciate you talking to us and giving those tips. And we definitely, uh, I love your title, Tales from the Family Crypt. When <laughs> aging parents die, sibling rival, rivalry, I was want to say rivalry, rivalry lives. And then to go to the, the children's picture book about grandparents. I mean, such a contrast. And yet it's all about life. And it life is. situations and and then raising amazing children as well. So all of these books, I'm assuming, are on Amazon. They are all on Amazon. And we will, of course, have all those links in your uh, show notes. And I thank you. Thank you. This was so enlightening and fun and definitely motivating. Is there Thanks. anything you want to say in conclusion? Apropos to your tagline, I do want to say, if you are involved in a difficult family situation, don't give up hope. As long as you're all still alive and can speak, there Mm -hmm. is hope. You can reach a better place. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh man, this is my family, don't wait to do something about it and don't give up the hope for a better situation for all of you because it can happen. Very good advice. Thank you, Carol. This has been just a pleasure and a lot of fun. Same here. Thank you. And we'll be in touch. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.